Okay, so let's let me see what I can find here with this email. Um, oh, is someone at the neighbors? Okay, so okay, so the question that I asked this was I think regarding session one hundred one or session one hundred two. The question that came up sort of at the end, it wasn't really about the, I'm not sure it was directly connected to the topic, was if you're davening Shemona Esrei slowly, and the shaliach, or not slowly, I imagine, but slowly, and the shaliach tibor begins chazaras hashatz, so the chazin, the person leading the davening, starts saying the, the repetition of Shemona Esrei out loud, and you are still davening your private Shemona Esrei, mm -hmm. what should you do? Should you continue quietly until what point? Should you stop and listen and then continue? What are you supposed to do? So that was the question that we posed to Rabbi Yair Apter. So I'm going to read his responses, but I'm also, I, it has been turned into a formal handout, which I will put, I will post on one or more of the, <laughs> probably there and also here where we're talking about it. I'll make it downloadable as a PDF file, and we'll print them hopefully for the shul. But for that, I, he needs to have a chance to look it over more carefully and whatever, because then people will poskin straight off of it here. You'll know the answer, and if you have any further questions, you'll just ask him. Okay, so he said, before the first Yehiyula Ratzon, so let me just explain what that means. When you daven Shemona Esrei and you get all the way to the end... This is worth us knowing anyway, although it's not today's topic, but we are going to get to this at the beginning, because, of course, whenever we get to the beginning of something, we want to know what the end is, like where are we headed, and then we know how to get there, right? So we will talk about where the end of Shemona Esrei is. The end of Shemona Esrei really, uh, officially, is the bracha, Baruch Atah Hashem HaMevarech Es Amo Yisrael Bashalom. Okay. After that, many people are accustomed to say the verse, Not everyone says that there, but many people are accustomed to say that verse there. When you say that, you've kind of ended your Shemona Esrei. Then there's still the, you haven't left Shemona Esrei. It's like you finished speaking to the king, and yet you haven't left the room. You're still standing there. And in taking leave, we have this bracha, this paragraph of Elokai Nitzur Lashoni Meira, and it goes on, Aselaman Shemecha, Aselaman Yeminecha, and then, Yehiyu Liratzon Imrei Fi Vehegion Libi Lefanecha, Hashem Tzuri Ali. And then we take three steps back, Ose Shalom Bimramav. So when he refers to the first Yehiyu Liratzon, that's the one that comes after the bracha, Hamavarech Asamo Yisrael Vashalom, but before Elokai Nitzor. And when he refers to the second Yehiyu Leratzon, he's referring to the one that's just before Oseh Shalom. Okay, so just so we have our, our terms straight, because again, he was answering me, so the assumption was that I know what he's talking about. Are you saying that most people say Yehiyu Leratzon twice? I don't know if most people do. It's a very common custom, and he was oh. definitely seemed to be okay. assuming that that's what people do. I do. But I don't know what most people do, and... We've barely even started Shemona Esrei, so I don't even know what the basis is of this. Right? Hopefully by the time we get there, we'll know something about it. It will have come up by then. I've noticed that, especially because we're moving on a slower schedule, um, which I enjoy, like learning each thing and, and kind of discovering it, so there's always overlap. So like what we're learning now for Shemona Esrei, these materials that I've been collecting for two or three years now, it's not just when I sat down to prepare Shemona Esrei, which also took a lot of time, Spent a lot of time over the summer on it. But it's also just whenever something came up that was interesting somewhere else in davening, so then I would put it in and save it for later. Okay. So before you get to the first Yehiu Leratzon, in other words, while you're still davening Shemona Esrei, that would be the definition of it, you do not respond verbally whatsoever. You do not, you just, um, no, hang on, is this the first? Yeah. He said, before the first Yiratzon, you do not respond verbally at all. You're in your Shemona Esrei. If the Chazan gets to Kaddish, Kedusha, or Baruch so Kaddish would be after his Shemona Esrei. These are not in order. So let's say that the, the Chazan is leading his, his loud Shemona Esrei, the communal Shemona Esrei repetition. When he finishes it, he's going to say Kaddish. Oh. 
if he gets to that Kaddish, or, and this would happen much sooner than that, if he gets to Kedusha. Kedusha is the insertion that isn't just a repetition of the Shemona Esrei, but is actually added into Shemona Esrei in the second bracha, or just after this, between the second and third brachos, which is on a weekday, Nekadesha Shimcha Ba'olam Keshem Shemakdisha Mosa, that's in Shachris, right? In Musaf, it's Naritzcha V'Nakadishacha. Okay, and that's with the Kadosh, 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 and okay. So that whole section, that's called Kedusha. If he gets to Kedusha, or Baruchu. What Baruchu is, does he mean? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what Baruchu that would be, unless maybe you're davening Shemona Esrei, and it happens to be that the minion is behind you, and they get to the Baruchu before Shema. I don't know, I'll have to ask him what, what Baruchu that is. Well, you know where this happens? This is not a common problem for us because we have one minion at a time, right? So unless you were in a big, but for men who are, let's say, in a hurry to daven, they might want to come to a shul and daven, but they might not be able to stay as late as everyone else because they have work or something. So they might be davening up in front of everyone, ahead of everyone. Or it could happen that a person knows he davens extremely slowly. So he might actually start, like go through all the way through Psuke de Zimmer at home, come to shul, get a head start, and hope that by the time he's done with Shemona Esrei, everyone else has caught up to him. So it could happen. The other thing that can happen is the other way around. If you daven in Israel in one of these places where they have minion after minion after minion, mm-hmm. and they daven very quickly, you could be davening Shemona Esrei, and it could, the whole thing could cycle back around to the barhu of the next minion. That can also happen while you're standing there. Okay, so I'm assuming that that's what he's talking about. You should listen, so that means you then pause in your davening, listen to what the chazan is saying, and allow him to be motzi you. I really should just not be reading his email. I should, no, I am. I'm going to read his email because I haven't gotten approval on my assemblage of his email. But I did, in fact, turn it into a different order. Okay. If you already said yihiu l'ratzon imrei fi. The first one. The first one. So you finish the brachos of Shemona Esrei, but you're still like in the room. You're in the throne room. You haven't taken any steps out. You haven't finished your final sort of petitioning at the end. Then you should respond verbally to the following. And he gave five cases in which you would, in fact, even though you still daven, you, even though you're still saying davening, um, you don't just listen and let their, their saying it be to you, but you respond to it. The first one is Kedusha. But you don't say all of the repetitions. You know, there's places like here where, um, well, it's not so much on the Shabbos, on the weekday mornings, but like in, in the Musaf on Shabbos, there are places where the Chazan says a sentence and everyone else also repeats it before they go on, and then he repeats with this, and then he goes on. He says, the only verses that you say are, Kadosh, 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 Hashem Tzavakos, Meloko Haaretz Kavodo. That you say out loud. You also say, Baruch Kavod Hashem Im Komo. He said, that's all. There's some hold, you should also say, Yim Lo Hashem Le'olam Elokaich Tzion L'dor V'dor Halalukah. So either two or three, and if you want to know what you should do, just ask your Rav, either Rabbi Apter or someone else, what's, should you say two or three of them? Okay. Out loud. If the Chazan finishes Shmona Esrei and says Kaddish, then you should say, Amen Yeheshmei Rabba Mavarach La'olam Al-Omei out loud. And you should say the word, you should say the word Amen in response to Dami Ron Be'alma. Right, they say Dami Ram Imru and say you should also answer Amen to that one. Only, only one Amen, because I think there's one. There, well, it's two, because it's Amen Yehesh Mevara, so that's one that's an Amen with a Yehesh Mevara, and another Amen after. Um, you should answer Amen to the Bracha. See, I, I tried to reorganize them also in order that you would encounter them, <laughs> which which was not the case here. You should answer Amen to the Bracha Baruch Ata Hashem Hakel Hakadosh. That's the one that's after the Kedusha. That's the third bracha. Um, during Aser Sumei Tshuva, that would be Baruch HaTashem HaMelech HaKadosh. 
And you should say amen to well, that bracha. This is this is back to now we've jumped back. That's why I said they're not, okay. the way he answered me was not in order that you would encounter them, but I did try and reorder them in the handout so that it would be easier to find where your, your law, <laughs> when you got to it, you could look in order. Um, and you should answer amen to shomea tefillah. That's the other bracha you answer amen to. And it's closer to the end. No, Shomeat Tfila is one of the brachas of Shemona Esrei. It starts with Shema Koleinu Hashem Elokeinu, oh, okay. Okay. and it ends with Baruch Ata Hashem Shomeat Tfila. And you should answer Amen to that one. And then this, this I thought was really very interesting. He said, not long after that, if the Chazan gets to Modim, so normally what happens in Modim is the Chazan says Modim Anachnu Lach Shatahu Hashem Elokeinu Lokei Avosenu Lamvaed Tzor Chayenu Magen Yishenu. And everybody else says their own modim. What Rabbi Abder said was, if the chazan gets to modim, you should just say three words. Modim But only those three words. It's not the whole passage. And if he gets to baruchu, you should answer baruchu. And I'm not sure what, again, like that. it sounds like that would be like, quite a less common situation, but it could happen, okay. but not so much in Armin Yanim. So and then he said, oh, one, one more thing, if you said the second Yihiu Leratzon, then that's called that you already finished Shmon Esrei, and you should just stop, you know, let's say you're up to Osei Shalom Bim Ramat, just, or there's a Yihiu Ratzon that people say, right, at the end, just stop and be part of the repetition of Shmon Esrei. At that point, you've already said Shmona Esrei. You finish Shmona Esrei and rejoin the congregation. Okay, so then I asked, hang on. <laughs> Again, like it'll all be more collated, but I don't, I don't want to provide the collation as my interpretation a little bit. I mean, I hope not, but there's the potential for my having inserted my understanding into it. So I just want to give what he said. He said, um, I, I, so then I followed up and said, I thanked him and said, is it best to stop saying the silent tefillah when the chazan starts and just listen so that you can answer in the places where you need to answer and listen quietly and then finish after, or should you keep going? He said, when the chazara starts, you should continue with your own shmona esrei at the pace you feel comfortable. There is no reason to alter your davening speed. If the chazan reaches Kedusha, then you do as mentioned above. Okay, so that, that was the answer we have so far. Baruch Hashem, which is very, very, very helpful. And um, hopefully we'll have something to hand out with that, but we have to give him enough time to, to do it. So if I understand you correctly, if you said the second you read Son, then you just, then you just stop. You, you never get back to Osi Shalom. Uh, that could be. I didn't ask that question. It's a good question. Yeah, it could be. You would never really come back to it. You just go on. Meaning now, now the chazan's going to move on to Tachanun, or he's going to move on to... I've got to, three Yuratzons here. No, there should be two. I've Where's got Yuratzon, 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 would be twice. And then I've got right. That's Yehi Ratzon. That's something else. That's talking about that one. Right. That would be, technically, that's after your davening. That's after Shmona Esrei. So at that point, if that's where you were up to, you would stop davening and join the community in hearing. Okay. But that's okay. not what you were talking about. You're talking Correct. about Eulerus. That's right. The, okay. The yeah. Right. So these halachos are the same. These are not different. These brachos all show up in the Yantif davening the same right. way. Yeah, so. <laughs> it's, hard, it's hard to even follow what they're, you know, where, the, where everybody's It's hard to keep up with where they're up to while you're davening. I don't know how to answer that other than maybe like between brachos just check in with your ears where they're up to I think that having the handout will be helpful because then you can use it to mark your sidurim with like post-its or with a pencil or something yeah. in advance you can mark your shabbos sitter or your machser or whatever and because it would be hard to do on the fly especially if you don't remember exactly and that's why I would love to make it also in a small version, like a half-size version. It can fit into a sitter, mm -hmm. into a standard sitter, and then you can have it with you in case it jumps upon you unexpectedly, which is probably the most likely way it would. Okay, so it's 9.30. I really think we should start this year. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I want to just recap um, in just two paragraphs 
the basic topic that we talked about last week, I think that last week was really a very important year. I felt, I felt like it really, um, for me at least, was exceedingly helpful in pulling together some kind of approach to what, what am I expecting? That's not correct. What, am I, what is my objective in a Shmona Esrei? How would I know? It doesn't mean I'm always going to achieve this. In fact, certainly at this stage in my own life, I'm rarely going to achieve this, or I will achieve it for a very brief moment during any given Shmona Esrei. That kind of intensity or that kind of high-level view of the world, of understanding my own needs as part of something much bigger than myself. I don't know how much of my Shmona Esrei at this stage of my life is going to really achieve that in a, in a full way, but at least I know where I'm looking towards, what I'm aspiring to, and when I feel it and when I achieve it, I'll have a sense that I have come in a direction that I wanted to come. If I know where I'm going, then I can know where I am. Hi, good morning. You won't believe it, but in a funny way, we just started. Oh, I can explain to you afterward how that happens to be. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, the later you start, the worse it is. We'll, we'll help you root something, because some words are better than others, but welcome. Okay, so what I wanted to do was, because I felt last week was such an important year, I'm just going to read, I, I took out like one and a half paragraphs from Rabbi Leichter to recap what that topic was, because that is the basis upon which today's topic rests. So these are little excerpts from Rabbi Leichter on tefillah, between pages 28 and 31. Chazal characterized prayer as being among the things that stand at the height of the world. Prayer requires us to relate to our requests in a way which is elevated from our material existence. This does not mean that we should become detached from our material existence. On the contrary, in Jewish prayer, we remain firmly rooted in our material existence and the expression of our physical needs. You remember that that was Rav Hirsch's Mizbeach Adomataseli, lift up, raise up a Mizbeach of the earth. Rather, the point is that when we pray, we should connect our simple lives to a much bigger reality. This way of praying requires us to develop a broader picture, a more cosmic view, and that is that one that is not merely preoccupied with having our needs met. So that was, that was really what the topic was last week, but in, in more depth and with a few more angles rounding it out, but essentially that's what we talked about, that in order to daven, it has to be based on our physical needs. It's not disconnected from our physical needs. It, it is elevated of our physical needs, but it needs to be elevated of that. It is created out of our physical need, and yet it grows into something that is higher, more elevated than that, with a broader perspective and more inclusive perspective. So, so from here we're going to move on. In order to get to Shmona Esrei, we need to build a building under it. We need to build the Mizveach under it which is why we start with our physical needs. That's brachos, at the physical, the body, looking at the world around us, recognizing and appreciating that that is from Hashem and dedicating it to his service. And then through a process of psuke de zimra, which is a process of looking at the events in life, not just the physical tangibles of life, but the events and the paths of Jewish history, the paths of the individual history, and recognizing that all of this, both the good and the bad, is all part of Hashem's overall plan, is all moving toward achieving God's will in the world, and that this is something we praise, and we start to recognize that what we thought was bad, we really sing praise for, because it was all part of getting to where we were. That's the concept of Azyashir, Shira Sayam. And on top of that, we can add then another story to the building of Kriyashma, of Yichud Hashem, of saying Hashem Elokeinu, the, the aspects of Hashem that we see as relating to us through Rachamim, the aspects of Hashem that we see relating to us through Din, Hashem Echad. This is one infinite and unchanging God who is relating to us. And that is all, that's really all from Ahava and Chesed. And despite the fact that we perceive it and really feel it as very, very different when, when we're put under terrible pressures, 
That does not feel the same as when we're receiving what we would call wonderful blessings. Our, our Hatova HaMetiv is not the same as our Dayan HaMes. But nonetheless, the God who, who we praise in those brachos is the same. So that Yichud, and all of that then underlies being able to stand and say Shmona Esrei. And I think now, with this basis behind us, we start to understand why. Because in order to ask Hashem for our needs, it has to come from a place of understanding, as Rabbi Leichter says, that Hashem is interested in our needs in an even deeper way than we are. His concern for us is far deeper and more nuanced and more understanding than our own. Right? As we say, if I knew what God knew, I would choose what he chose for me. But I don't know, so I don't know. But at least I know that I would. So when I'm asking Hashem and I'm expressing my will, and my part of Shemona Esrei will be expressing my will in terms of God's will, because the brachos of Shemona Esrei are Hashem's will that's being expressed, and we're kind of in adding life to them and infusing them with our own will and our own needs and our own bakashos. All of this has to come from, to achieve the broader view required, requires the sense that everything that Hashem does is letav of it, is for the good. And, and for the, the ultimate good. And for my own good. To the point that this is what I would choose if I had all the information. It's okay that I don't have all the information, but it is what I would choose. And that puts me in a position to have the broader kind of view necessary to make bakashos of Hashem that are not attempts at manipulation. God is not my vending machine, as Rabbi Kellerman says, right? Like I'll put in my blessing and, and I'll take out my blessing. That's not the point. The point is to be as connected as possible to his ratzon. So I do that through discovering my own ratzon, but also attempting to align it with his. And that requires the recognition that Hashem Elkeinu Hashem Echad. So this is really like starting to under, understand also the Lashon of Tefillah. These are some ideas from Rav Pincus. Also the idea of Tefillah, where Tefillah is also based on the word psil, which is a wick. So a wick does a couple of things. It connects two states to one another, right? So the wax in a solid form or the fuel in a liquid form, which then... Through, its, through being drawn through the seal, becomes light, gets turned into the light energy, the heat energy. So that's one aspect of a seal is that ability to bridge from a physical state to a more spiritual state as a mashal, right? Heat energy is physical, but it's a great mashal. We always use light as a mashal for spirituality. But a seal is also made of small, thinner, intertwined strands. This intertwining, um, this connecting, is in a sense what we are attempting to do with Hashem's Ratzon in our Shemona Esrei. We're trying to make it so that our Ratzon and his Ratzon will become a single identity, like a Pasil. Lehit Palel would be then to make my will his will, or make his will my will depending on which direction you're coming from, right? I say, I guess, make his will my will. So that when you look at my will, what you see is something more or less, I mean, not entirely, because we're never going to perfect this by definition, but what you will see is something that is a unified identity, that is intertwined. Okay. Rav Hirsch, in a wonderful little booklet that was published for Rosh Hashanah, when, I mean like in the 50s or something. It's a little book of his essays on Rosh Hashanah, but it's not the same as what's in Chorev. So he describes Chana, who is of course our source for most of what our understanding is of what a tefillah should look like. So Chana stood before Hashem on Rosh Hashanah, Vatis Palel Al Hashem. And she was speaking Aliba to her heart. It was on Rosh Hashanah? Yeah, according to the Gemara. In other words, what we learn from this is, Mikan libo. When you daven, you need to direct your heart. And Rav Hirsch takes this based on its source with Chana as, you need to be addressing your heart, talking to your heart, being re-aroused by the truth in your heart to find the direction that is pleasing to Hashem. 
In other words, somehow by looking into ourselves, which is the literal lahis palel, to assess oneself, by looking into oneself to find in there Hashem's will, not by ignoring our own will, but by getting to the deepest core of our will and finding within it behind all of the you know, the defense mechanisms and all of the needs and all of the pains and all of the hurts, finding within ourselves our desire to truly be in accordance with his will. And when we can find that, then what we've done is we've gone through ourselves to him, as opposed to trying to leave ourselves behind, which again is another way of expressing or, or understanding or approaching this idea of we don't disconnect ourselves from the earth we rise up from the earth to reach for Hashem and our Shemona Esrei okay. Rav Berkowitz um, in one of his recorded shiurim on davening says and this is coming right up to a shul near you Avraham davening for the people of Sidon we are so used to this as somehow being normal. But I don't know. Like, that doesn't seem like what we do. When was the last time we davened for, like, the LG, whatever they call it, Pride Parade people? Like, when was the last time I davened for ISIS? I'm not sure this is really my tachlis. Like, what's the deal? Like, davening for the people of Sodom, they were really, really wicked. They were really, really bad. He was davening for Saddam or for Lot? He was davening for the people of Saddam. What if there's 50 tzaddikim, will you save the city? If there's four, right? It's not only davening for Lot. Lot got saved. Hashem pulled Lot out. He's davening for the people of Saddam. This is Avraham as not just Avram, father of a nation of Aram. This is Avraham, father of Hamon Goyim. But Lot wasn't um, endangering anyone else. I'm sorry, the stone wasn't endangering other people. Sure they were. Anyone who came by. Anyone who came by. But like... But yeah, it's not, not you're right. Okay, so it's not an ISIS that would want to stop out. them. Good. I'm not drawing a lesson from this. I'm just saying, like, let's say, let's say, okay, a gay pride parade. Am I supposed to daven for these yeah, people? Okay, like, I can't right. say that occurred to me. I'm mostly like davening for my kids that, like, we won't accidentally see a billboard. Like, I'm not <laughs> advertising it. Like, I'm not so much davening that, like, please save them. Could be it's a flaw in me. I don't know. But like, just to give myself some perspective on what this means, you're right, that, that's maybe a safer example, okay? Because they're not really going out. But, but to understand that like Hashem saw fit to destroy these people. Hashem saw fit to destroy Sodom. So enough to, let's say nobody ever visited them because they already had a reputation, right? It still, they still was beyond what, you, what, what God felt the world could be expected to have to tolerate having upon it, the physical world. What do you want from this poor Adama? Really, like, mm -hmm. it's enough. Okay. This is the beginning of him being the father of all nations, the Jewish people as a light among the nations. This is his stepping out as the father of the Jewish people. The father of the Jewish people is someone who, when he sees other people in trouble, davens for them. It's a very different way. I have to say, it's not like, before I heard Rav Berkowitz say this, I can't say that was my assumption about Shemona Esrei understood that the brachas of Shemona Esrei are in plural because we're davening for all of Klai Yisrael. And Rebrukowitz did not say that, and I heard elsewhere, and I don't have the notes on it here, but Rabbi Reisman said something very similar in the name of the Skvera Rebbe. I, 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 at the time, I had the notes on it. It was something to do with benching. He had spoken to him and asked him a question about benching. The Skvera Rebbe didn't have an answer and then called him later with, with, a, with what he felt was the answer. And the answer was that there... Um, Maybe I can reconstruct it. In benching, I think his question was, I think the question was regarding in the Harachamans, why do we say, bless us, commotion is... Ah, uh, no, that wasn't it either. I don't remember. It had to do with the commotion is baruch lavaseinu avraham yitzchak v'yakov bako mikoko. And I don't remember, somehow, I'm sorry, I can't remember. Somehow the answer was, because in general, our tefillos are for the whole world. 
and it's only in certain cases where they are specifically for the sake of Kali Yisrael alone. And that was true of Shimon Esri, and it was true in benching as well, which was a fascinating, fascinating thing. Like this is, to me, seems almost a foreign idea, except that I heard it a few years ago already, and is really a very different way of thinking. Now, it doesn't mean that like, oh, everybody's the same, and so we're all brothers, and so we're all, right? It has to do with a sense of leadership, what it means to be a leader, what it means to be a light to the nations, what it means to say, this is a world that Hashem created. These are the creatures that Hashem created. And in Hashem's ideal world, all people serve him. How do we know that? Because we have what the Torah Shabbat tells us about the days of the Mashiach, when the world becomes perfected. And Beisi Beis Tefillah Yikari Lechol Ha'amim, and the Beis HaMikdash will be called a house of prayer for all nations. And all the nations will be sending in their material support to help support Klal Yisrael in our avoda of learning Torah and support the Beis HaMikdash in the, the whole world's need to have the Beis HaMikdash be connecting heaven and earth and bringing blessing into the earth and bringing Hashem's Ratzon in. And this is, this is the perfection of the earth. Now, if that is Hashem's will, and I'm trying to connect to that, then that becomes mine. Does it mean that I want there not to be justice? No. All I have to do is look at the brachas of Shmon Esri to see that I'm expressing melech ohev tzedakah umishpat mishanu miftachat tzadikim shover oivim zedim. Right? Like, <laughs> that I am asking, right? But what we're striving, what we're yearning for in Shmon Esri is a perfection of the world in accordance with Hashem's ratzon. And that is to everyone's benefit. That's not only me. And it's not only my family, it's not even only Klal Yisrael. It's a very broad thing, but the reason I'm mentioning this now, because we talked about this a few years ago when we were introducing the concept of tefillah altogether as the primary role of man on the planet. The reason I'm introducing it now is because it reminds us what it means that we need to be broadening our view in our bakashas. But it always has to start with getting in touch with our own needs. Because then it's real. If I can feel inside of myself that there's a need, that's what I can build on. I had a conversation with someone yesterday or the day before. And she, what she was telling me was that she and a friend were, were talking. And this, this woman that I'm friends with said, it's such a miracle. Look what a chesed. Hashem did, it was a certain, one, one of these terrible terrorist attacks in Israel, but really the person who perpetrated it was planning to do much worse. And the shear, there was a, there was a shear and he was planning to actually attack people as they came out of the shear and the shear was canceled suddenly. And so there was not so many people available for him to try and attack. And she said this to a friend of hers, and the friend said, how could you say such a thing? It's an interesting response, right? How could you even consider that there's chesed there when there's somebody who died? Somebody died, his family's devastated and bereaved. How could you suggest there was a chesed there? So this friend called me, because it was like a dis it's like an uncomfortable, like how do you answer that? Is the problem here that she doesn't have enough sensitivity? Or is the problem, I mean, is that really, like, how do we relate? And I, I think that we could get a little bit of a sense from here, from, from how we dot in Shemona Esrei. The answer is we do start with the pain. And if it's someone else's pain, then we start by expanding ourselves to feel their pain with them. But from there, we're not supposed to stop there. We don't stop with feeling pain. We don't even stop with asking Hashem to relieve our own pain. In the process of asking Hashem to relieve our pain, we try and grow up and become bigger than what we are normally and say, this is all part of your plan and this is part of the perfection and I want you to relieve my pain, Hashem, because I understand that you wish to heal the sick and you wish to redeem the Jewish people. You've told us so in the Torah and Chazal have expressed it for us in Shmon Esrei. So given that that is your will, may, it, may this be your will in this time and in this place. And in doing that, I do come into contact again with remembering that whatever Hashem does is good and that his will is always good. 
So I think that there's a place for both. I think it does start with suffering, but I think it doesn't end with suffering. It doesn't end there. We have to grow beyond it. There is a purpose to our suffering, and that is reassuring and comforting. But if we don't get anywhere from our suffering, how much purpose has it served us? Possibly a lot. Kapara, I don't know, right? I wouldn't, I wouldn't minimize that. That's a big deal. But even when we remember that, if we remember, you know what, I don't know what the purpose of my suffering is, but at least it should be a kapara for me. I've also grown in some way. I've also understood that I could be makabel, I could accept Hashem's will and say that, that maybe if I understood, I would also be my will. Hopefully it would be. And that, in that sense, I grow. Okay, the Ari, Rav Yitzchak Luria, the great Kabbalist, said, before a person organizes his prayer, meaning before you start davening, you should accept upon yourself, love your neighbor as yourself. And he should direct his mind and his heart to loving every single Jewish people as his own soul. Unfortunately, in Shemona Esrei, it comes in a bit late. <laughs> you know, right? But the idea of expanding your definition of yourself and your needs to include Klal Yisrael and all of their needs, because by being part of the greater community, his prayers will rise up in a more purified way to Hashem and bring with them other prayers and they'll be joined together with the tefillahs of all of Klal Yisrael. And in that sense, they will, they will uh, bear fruit. The Rambam says, it's a bit, of a, a bit of a jump, but you'll see why it isn't, how, how elevated is the level of teshuva? Now remember, teshuva seems to be closer to the level of tefillah, right? Of Shemun Esrei. We're already talking about these higher levels of the worlds. Yesterday, the person was separated from Hashem, his God, and the God of Israel. And now he cries out, and today he's clinging to the Shechina. You can, you can flip, like, in a moment. From being completely detached from God, or feeling detached, to clinging to him and holding tight. This is achieved in a shortcut through Ve'ohavta l'reacha kamocha. By bonding yourself to the Jewish people, you bond yourself to God. That's the bracha to Avram, right? Those who bless you will be blessed. Being part of the Jewish people. It's, excuse me, im ahuv ohev, im, sorry, im ata ohev, ata ahuv. If you loved, if you love, you're loved. If you hate, you're hated. This is, this is where we want to come from. We talked about this Rosh Hashanah time. I described having the experience. Hello, good morning. I described having the experience of standing there waiting for the shofar to be blown. So here I am tuning in to being judged on Judgment Day. And I'm thinking critically about the people around me. You know, the noise, the kid, the this, whatever noises or interruptions or the way someone's dressed. That's how you dress for sure, Rosh Hashanah, right? And all of a sudden it was like, you call that like a dope slap, like slap myself, you know? Here I am standing waiting to be judged. I think I'm the judge. <laughs> what, what do I do? <laughs> right? That's not where I want to be. Right? That's not how you go into davening. The way you go into davening, I'm, I'm the negative example, right? The way you go into davening is, look around and say, I want to be part of these people. If I put us all together, right? This is what we talked about Rosh Hashanah. If you put us all together, you know, okay, so we use my skirt in this picture, but we'll use her patience. <laughs> Okay, and we'll use my, uh, I don't know, Baruch, and we'll use her Atah, and we'll use her Tshuva, and we'll use her dedication, and her Musar, and her Achnas Orchim, and, and put us all together, you'll get like something pretty awesome. I want to be judged as part of that crowd. That's where I want to be. And that's, this is like a, almost like, a, I don't know, a shortcut to helping us toward broadening our view seeing our needs and expanding them out, Gesundheit, expanding them out to the needs of Klal Yisrael and the world and Hashem's Ratzon overall. So here's a wonderful quote from Rav Hirsch. In the battle of life, and, and one of the things he, well, oh, did I put the quote here? Okay. 
In the battle of life, you may run the danger of judging it only according to human energy, building life only upon human power, Rely on, relying, on, relying on your own power or giving up all courage because you have realized human frailty. If this is the case, then in prayer, learn to wish only that which is true and to hope only in Hashem. Such prayer sets right your strivings for your future. It realigns us. It sets me straight again. If I can set aside, what is it I have to do? What is it I have to remember? Because you remember how Rav Leichter kind of talked about that? He said you can have this terrible irony where you're davening to Hashem for help, but because you consider it a hishtadlus, so while you're davening for help, you start thinking about what else you need to do to make it happen. So in the moment that we're trying to draw near to him, we're pulling away from him, right? It's a terrible possibility, right? So if, you're, if we're focused on what we have to do and our, then we either become hyper-focused on our ability or we give up hope entirely because we realize it isn't possible. People are only human. We can't achieve it. So then in davening, learn to wish only that which is true. Hashem, just your ratzon, because there's no way, like, this is going to work otherwise. And learn to hope only in Hashem. It's all your power. And we've said many times that the structure of Shmona Esrei gets built on an armature of brachos, the concept of baruch, of a bracha, is Hashem, may your will be implemented through me. But that's his will, and that's his energy. Right? We've said that too many times for me to even repeat it now, because I said it last week and before that, before that. Such prayer sets right your strivings for your future. That is called bakasha and techina. Bakasha referring more to possessions, asking for what I need physically, like the, the tools, the resources, the energies, and the latter more to yourself. Tehina is asking for, for your inner self, your inner needs, your inner straightening out of what's required. So I had printed out this. This is, I hate to mix it into a Torah share, but he says it so well. And this is Stephen Covey. He's a well-known, uh, was a well-known, what would you call it? I don't know, personal development, but not Jewish. Most people do not listen with the intent to understand. Most people listen with the intent to reply. Mm-hmm. Martha? Martha? Take a deep breath. Take a deep breath. Take a deep breath. That's better. Okay, thank you. Okay, and I thought this came, the, the reason I came across this quote now was because I presented at a business seminar. Okay, but most people do not listen with the intent to understand. Most people listen with the intent to reply is not the worst way to like, Slap yourself into shape before Shmona Esrei. Am I standing here only to talk and be heard? Or am I standing here also to listen? Or he has actually perhaps a quote that's more apropos, but I didn't print it out in a cute format. Seek first to understand, only then to be understood. So I, I, I'm not saying that that is the definition of a Shemona Esrei. I'm saying that it's kind of a helpful and pithy way of reminding myself, what am I doing here? I'm standing here to present my bakashos, to recognize where there is apparent lack in my life and the life of others, or in my behavior. And I maybe need help with that, right? Maybe I need help with tshuva. Also, there's a lot of things that I can feel that I need, and I do need. And I'm going to bring them up with him, but it's a conversation. It's dusiach, it's a dialogue. Right, that's Rabbi Leichter, that's not Stephen Covey. <laughs> right? Shmona Esri is a dialogue. I need to be listening as well as talking. 
Now, who, how do I hear Hashem's will? How do I hear Hashem talking to me in Shemona Esrei? And the answer is, my, word, my own words should be very soft, but they should reach my own ears. In the words of Shemona Esrei, I express my needs, and I also hear Hashem's will, which is astonishing, but true. Astonishing, but true. Okay, let's do one last point, and then we'll be finished with this section of the introduction to Shemona Esrei, meaning kind of a definition of what is a Shemona Esrei. This is from Rav Volbi. This standing before God three times a day elevates a person in a, in a boundless way. We cannot even begin to describe the heights to which a person can reach in standing before Hashem. And I'm saying this at the end of our talk about what is a Shemona Esrei, not the beginning. Why? Because if we say it at the beginning, it's like, yeah, okay, for someone else, I mean, I'm not getting elevated into the stratosphere through this, right? And the answer is no. Now that we have some kind of picture, then we realize we all have a share in this. We all have a, fo a, a foothold, a toehold, maybe, in a Shemona Esrei. It's for all of us. Do we see where we re reach? No. Can we always feel where we reach? No. Are there other people out there who have more? Maybe, I don't know, but who's comparing? I can be elevated in a way that I can't begin to even understand in the opportunity to stand before Hashem three times a day. And with regard to brachos, it says in the Kuzari that one who accustoms himself with kavana, with thinking about what he's saying, vehachana, and preparing himself to say a bracha, I mean, not just rattling it off and only noticing you're saying the bracha when you just finished it, but thinking about what, what, what am I about to say? I'm thinking about it. He has now doubled his pleasure in what he's about to eat or drink. So you're about to take a drink of something and you say a bracha because it's God's drink and you recognize that you're taking it and it's going to give you energy or support your body in order to do his will and you're grateful that he provided. You're grateful it tastes good doesn't have to. It could all be that horrible, I don't know, contrast material stuff they give, like barium drinks, you know. But it's not. It's not all chalk. He increases his pleasure. Ki hum lahargish, because he accustoms himself to feeling, ki muvan me'elav, that nothing in the world can be taken for granted. Hakol kadosh baruch hu noseilanu. Everything that, that is here is Hashem actually giving it to us. That is exciting. When you pick up a drink and you're going to have a drink or you pick up a, a, a chicken nugget and you're going to eat a chicken nugget and you think, Hashem just gave this to me. That increases your pleasure. Gamal chayenu atzmam. Even with regard to our lives themselves. Anu mevarchim baruch Hashem shehechayanu v'kimanu v'higiyanu lazman hazeh. It's not just the stuff in the world that's a gift. It's the living itself that's a gift. Living is not something that can just be taken for granted. It's not an automatic given. When a person is able to uproot everything in the world from the habitual routine thought that it has to be that way because it's always been that way. And he's able to receive everything as a gift directly from the hand of God. He truly does enjoy it at least twice as much, whatever it is that he has, because it's a gift. If someone, if someone gives you a present because they're handing out free fans on the street corners of Tokyo, which they do in the summer. They also hand out little packets of tissues, you know, with advertisements on them for SoftBank cell phone company or whatever. So you appreciate it, especially if you're really hot and you can fan yourself or you're drenched and you can wipe, pat off the sweat. That's what these are for. It's very, very humid in Tokyo in the summer, okay? 
But if a friend of yours gives it to you, gives you a fan, you appreciate it much more. You have more pleasure using it because it was given to you and it represents somebody's affection or thoughtfulness for you. It's not for them because they printed their advertisement. If someone brings it home from their trip to Japan and gives you a fan that they brought back as a souvenir, that means even more because it's somebody that you care about and who cares about you. If somebody that you respect deeply, if one of your teachers, one of your rabbis, one of your, I don't know, colleagues that you really look up to as a mentor gives it to you, it has a lot of value, a lot more than just the relief and the breeze that you create with this fan, right? It means so much that it's coming from somebody that you so look up to and they were interested enough in you to give it to you. This multiplies your pleasure way beyond really even the relief of the fan or the drink or the tissues. A person who works outside on a hot day in a heat wave and is desperately thirsty and somebody serves him a cup of water and he makes a bracha before he drinks. Baruch ato Hashem Elokeinu melech haolam this bracha adds ruchnius to the water. In addition to the fact that the water satisfies his thirst, he has a feeling when he drinks the water of ta'amu uru kitov Hashem. Taste it and taste how good Hashem is in the water. I think we relate to that after a fast even, but certainly on a hot day. And, and the Shemona Esrei infuses it into every piece of our life, every one of our needs, every thirst, whether it's for water or for health or for redemption or for parnasa or for teshuva or for intellect or for peace. We can have from our Shemona Esrei an elevation of ourselves, an elevation of our needs, and an elevation of our receiving and appreciating what we do have. Next week in Mitzvah Hashem, we'll start talking about the structure of Shemona Esrei. So the 18 brachos and how they got to be that way. 19 brachos and how they got to be, how the 18 brachos got to be 19 brachos. Okay, a little bit, not so much that topic actually tomorrow. But yeah. Are we off the recorder? We are now. Good. So the question was, how is it that I can be hearing Hashem's will when I'm davening Shemona Esrei and expressing my own will? Let's use an example. Hashivenu avinu secha. Return us, our Father, to your Torah. Vekarvenu malkenu secha. And draw us near, our King, to your avoda. Vehachazirenu b'seshuva shlema lefanecha. And cause us to return in complete teshuva before you. Baruch Atah Hashem. You are the source of all blessing, Hashem. Harotze b'seshuva. Who desires teshuva. Okay. Now, what are my thoughts when I'm saying this bracha? Not me personally. And, and I think that when we get to this bracha, we'll probably find a lot more. Okay. I'm just, just as far as we've, I've gotten so far. I'm thinking about myself, I hope. First of all, I hope I'm thinking about what the words meant possible that I'm already like still back in some other bracha or hopefully not on some other planet entirely or remembering what happened or what's going to happen later in the day. Hopefully I thought about what the words mean when I said them. If I'm in touch with a sense of need, then I'm also thinking, Hashem, please help me do tshuva properly. There are so many areas where I'm not living up to what I should be. There are so many areas that I am working on, and yet I've only gotten such a small way of progress. Or maybe I feel like I haven't made any progress. Or maybe I feel like I've been backsliding. There are areas where I've worked on and I've made little bits of progress, but from the point of view of the other people affected by me, it's not enough. Maybe I know I need to do tshuva about something, but I'm not really feeling it. There's a lot of me that still wants to be doing this and not improving, even though I know I ought to be. 
maybe I'm oblivious to who I am. It's really hard to see my, right? We all sit in our own blind spot. Help me. And the more desperate, you know, if, if you've ever had the experience of realizing you have really messed up, this is pretty intense. Please help me do tshuva. Sometimes it feels like maybe it's something I almost can't fix. Help me. Okay. But if I hear the words, that's what I'm saying. But what am I hearing? I'm hearing, Hashem, return us to your Torah. Hashem, draw us near to Avoda. Hashem, return us in Tshuva Shalema. Hashem is God who desires Teshuva. It is Hashem's will that the world become perfected and that all inhabitants of the world individually, as, as separate people, using the free will granted to them as humans and joining together in communities and as nations will turn back to him and say, Hashem, we were wrong, we were right. Please give us a chance to serve you correctly. I hear that even as I'm saying it, if my words reach my ears. But my words need to be very soft, not heard by anyone else, because they're my very deep inner world, and my goal is to travel through myself to hearing God's will. So I'm hearing that this is Hashem's will, and in saying the words, they become materialized into the world of creation. They are now. So I am, there is a powerful, powerful reality that is being built just in saying the words and understanding what they mean. And there's a powerful effect on me. There is this conversation of me saying, this matters to me so much. And Hashem saying, this matters to me so much. I can hear it both in the same words. I'm expressing myself in my words, and I'm hearing his will in my words. And that is a wicking together, an intertwining together of my will with God's will that can be achieved in a Shemona Esrei in a way that is not possible in any other way. This is a standing face to face with God, right? A person stands panim el panim, so to speak, as close to that as we can get. We're not Moshe Rabbeinu. We stand as close as possible to panim el panim is in our Shemona Esrei. And kemayim ha panim el panim kein leva adam adam. So that's talking about people. But we can learn something about it, about our relationship with God, which is that just as water reflects a face to itself, so does a person's heart reflect to another person. If you want to change how another person feels about you, the most effective way to do it is to change how you feel about them. Because their heart will reflect what is coming from your heart. That is panim el panim. That's what, okay? So when I am standing panim el panim to Hashem, I am seeking to help my heart reflect what is God's will, so to speak. And I can do that in the self-same words that I'm speaking, I'm hearing. And it becomes a conversation within myself about Hashem's will and my will and how they're intertwined and Hashem's care and interest in my care and interest. It's everything we said before visualized or experienced in one little aspect. Really, everything about Shemona Esri brings us to this. But that is an aspect that is easy to single out, relatively easy to grasp, although not necessarily easy to experience. It takes work and focus, but it's something that could be focused on as an expression of the greater whole. That answer the question a bit? Yeah, yes, it does. Okay. It's, uh, it's not something that's so easy to come by. Actually. Not easy to come by, but perhaps I, I, I hope that in putting it this way, I did, I didn't, I didn't see anyone say it straight out the way I just said it. I, be, I believe it's true. It's a true uh, representation of what I have learned here, um, and I think I think it's something that's easy enough to aspire to but not easy to achieve, no. Requires work. But it's a lot easier to work towards something if you know what you're working to. 
<laughs> so it gives some, it's a, it's a toehold. It's, again, it's another toehold. There's all these different little, little finger holds and toeholds that we try and get out Ultimately, it's one homogenous ain od milvado relationship going here. So however we slice it, it will mean the same thing. So it's a question for our own sakes. And this is always how we have it with relating to Hashem. What angle can I stand at that will make it possible for me to take another step closer so that I can see where I'm going? Maybe tomorrow it's a different angle. Okay. Okay, thank you. Yeah, that, that you must help me get an idea of what, what okay. Amy for. Sure. Okay.